Welcome to the Diving Pod. I'm Curtis Matthews, uh, NCAA Division One, uh, one meter and three meter national champion, uh, senior diver at Texas A&M University, and member of the Australian national team. And I'm Heath Calhoun, and I am Aaron Rooney. And once again, this podcast is brought to you by Sideline Scout, by far and away the best video replay system in the business for diving. Uh, go over to poolside or check out their poolside live package from sidelinescout.com. Uh, you absolutely will not regret it. It's the best money you can ever spend. So without further ado, Heath is going to ask a question of our spring King, if you will, <laughs> the springboard King for division one sweeping both springboards. Here we go. So, um, you know, take us through, I feel like you have kind of quite an interesting journey coming from Australia all the way to college station. So kind of take us through when you started diving, how you got into it. And maybe if you looked at other colleges, what colleges you looked at and why Texas A&M? Yeah. So I started, uh, I was doing swimming lessons when I was about 10 years old, um, with my sister, Jaya. And the instructor told my parents that we should really, you know, look into, uh, diving. I'm not sure if she had, any ties to it uh, or had kids who did it, but she said, go and do that. I think it'll be amazing for you guys. Um, and so we went and joined a club and eventually got scouted by sort of the feeder program for the Australian national team. And um, yeah, since I think about the age of 10 or 11, we were in that program and, uh, you know, working towards the, you know, the Olympic dream. So, Very so good. And then what, what kind of, what brought you to Texas A&M and did you look at any other colleges as well in that timeline? Yeah. Um, so I think around my junior year in high school, I started realizing that there was the potential, you know, opportunity to come over here and dive and uh, go to a university and get a scholarship and have that uh, be paid for. And I was lucky enough to already have some Australian teammates, uh, uh, Grant Nell and J.L. Patrick, who yeah. were both um, Aggies. I think they're class of 2012. Uh, mm -hmm. Sorry if I got that wrong, you two. <laughs> but so I sort of always grew up um, seeing them, you know, every nationals coming back to Australia with all this cool gear that had, you know, Texas A&M written all over it. And uh, I spoke to them and they said, yeah, the coach there, Jay LaRue, he was the uh, head, well, one of the head diving coaches for the U S diving team for Sydney 2000. Um, and yeah, I said, Hey, would you mind getting me in contact with Jay? And, uh, let's see if I can go over there and have a look. And I think it just clicked right from the start. It was, uh, perfect. You know, the school over here in Texas was great. The coach was great. The facilities were great. Um, and the people on the team at the time, I seemed to, uh, mix pretty well with them. So it was just a, a very easy decision for me. I didn't, really look anywhere else uh but my sister did end up at the university of iowa mm -hmm. awesome cool. awesome so heath and i are both big college football fans and i don't know how that goes uh you know with the 12th man over there at texas a&m but you know what's the difference there between american football and i'm assuming rugby's got to be way bigger in australia than american football yeah so there's uh two well there's three big uh, games in Australia, which I'd say is soccer, Australian football, and then rugby. Um, and sort of depending on what state you come from will sort of determine which game you prefer. I'm a rugby man myself. Um, 
and I have to say it's a far superior game to American football, but that's just my, uh, that's just my taste. Um, so. No, I'm but, glad you said that. I was hoping you were going to give us a little jab. I know that, uh, you know, us, us daft Americans over here, we don't play the real games. Yeah. There's uh, you know, in rugby they you don't wear pads or anything like that. You just smack a guard in and run it straight. Uh, so I, I much prefer that game. Good call. Good call. Yes. Fair enough. Um, okay. We'll get it back on the rails here, but uh, we were fortunate enough to have Steve Foley on the high performance director of Australia. Number one, what would you say are the similarities? And then also number two, the differences between diving in Australia and diving in the United States. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So I think in Australia, obviously we don't have the NCAA, which is a huge disadvantage. Um, so that level of collegiate activity isn't supported at the university level. Um, however, we do have basically what would be the equivalent of the college systems, which is provided by state institutions. So that would be coming from the state government of each, uh, each different state. And then obviously the federal government has the, you know, the AIS, the Australian Institute of Sport, uh, and then the national team programs. So in Australia, you would most likely join a club and then if uh you know they see that you have potential uh you'll be um you know offered a scholarship to come and join the state institution program so for example i come from new south wales i train in sydney uh and that would be the new south wales institute of sport and that would be the equivalent of the ncaa system minus the education it's only athletic um which is great but it's also a huge disadvantage because um, a lot of people will only focus on sport or academics. And in Australia, it's uncommon to do both at the same time, you know, at least enrolling full-time in university. I think uh, the NCAA definitely has it right over here in America where you can be a full-time student and a full-time athlete and basically every other, uh, you know, medical and uh, all the support staff and nutrition and everything is provided for you. So um, I think definitely better opportunities over here, but then of course, you know, you are full-time at university, so you're going to have to sacrifice a little bit of your time, um, and training intensity. You just have to adapt a little bit, but I would, uh, definitely make the same decision over again, every single time. Sure. What, what I'm really curious about is in Australia, uh, you say, you know, you, you kind of focus solely on athletics or academics. Let's say you did go down the athletics path. What do you do with the rest of your time? You know, does that, does that um, state facility kind of say, here's what you do, here's when you do it? Do you have your own time? Do you get a job? What does that look like if you're, if you're in Australia? So uh, I'm not really sure what other people do, but they usually try and encourage you to, uh, if you're still in high school, finish high school. Um, and if you're looking to go to university, uh, they definitely, uh, you know, help as, you know, try and facilitate that as much as possible. Uh, but for other people, it's more about trying to find part-time employment or, um, you know, sort of building your own brand and trying to get some sort of sponsorship or something to support you so that maybe you don't have to have that part-time job and you can focus more on athletics. Um, I never had to do that because I came to America. So it was already worked out for me. Um, right. Just in my spare time, I'm a student. And when I'm not hitting the books, I'm in the pool. 
Very good. So, and uh, just so we uh, we know, what are you studying? Uh, I'm a philosophy major. Nice. Oh. Very cool. Um, you know, as we kind of recap this awesome run you had that really seemed to start at like the SEC championships through zones and then through the NCAA championships, they mentioned it a million times. You know, you've never made an NCAA final. And this year you went two for two, winning both of them. What ha- I mean, what happened between last year and this year? Yeah, so it's kind of a weird situation. I actually, up until a couple of weeks ago, hadn't been to an NCAA since my sophomore year. Um, so during probably the two or three year peaking of my um, sort of like athletic performance, some of those years I missed out and wasn't able to go to NCAAs, whether it was due to COVID or I had to return uh, back to Australia and, you know, fulfill my duties for the national team. So it was, it was very strange. Like, you know, I don't, I consider myself, um, you know, like as good as, if not better, if not worse than like, you know, Andrew and uh, some of the other guys. And so, you know, for a couple of years, I didn't compete and I saw them uh, doing well. And I said, Hey, you know, I'm just as good as these guys. I just can't wait to get back and actually, you know, go and compete there. Um, So it was just, you know, a mixture of, uh, bad luck and uh, conflicting schedules between my NCAA schedule and um, you know competitions for the Australian national team, and it was just very nice to finally come back and uh, I suppose leave my mark on my final collegiate season. You, uh, yeah. you, you definitely did that. Uh, I still keep watching your. Uh, out of all the dives that you competed and performed. The one dive that like lives rent free in my head is your back two and a half tuck in prelims. Like that has to, that's probably the best back two and a half tuck I've ever seen in my life. Like it was so amazing. Like I remember calling Aaron and we're like, what the heck is this guy doing? It's insane. But uh, you, you definitely left your mark. That is for sure. You're the, you know, um, Wendy LaRue, Jay's wife put something on Facebook asking when the last time someone swept the springboards, the last person was steel Johnson. I think it was, like 2015 or something. So it's, that is a very rare feat to happen. So that you definitely left your mark. Uh, I actually had a follow-up question to, uh, to the previous one. When it come, when it came to COVID, I know that Australia's was really locked down and maybe even still pretty locked down tight. We tried to send a t-shirt to Steve Foley and I can't even ship a t-shirt to him. How has that changed and how obviously did you kind of work through that? Yeah, so it was really strange. Um, Australia, you know, went into lockdown at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, And, uh, you know, I obviously had to return home. So I had to get my vaccinations all up to date and uh, apply for a special, uh, uh, not a visa because I'm a citizen, but I had to basically apply to go back home because uh, upon returning home, there was a mandatory two week quarantine in uh, a hotel. And upon ne- like a couple of negative tests and completion of that quarantine, you were free to you know go about your business. Um, so that was really strange. But I mean, the lockdown seemed to work fairly well for the Australian government through most of the pandemic. I was walking you know around Sydney there was no mask mandates because of the quarantine had effectively stopped, uh, you know, COVID from coming into the country. Um, so that wasn't really too much of an issue for me. It was more so just the year before 
uh, we were at zones at SMU and we were competing and they literally came in and said, Hey, you know, we got to stop the competition. All athletic facilities are being shut down. So that was uh, a little bit strange. And then coming back to the United States um, again, you know, there was just making sure all my vaccinations were up to date and then coming back, uh, going through, you know, whatever mandates SEC or um, the NCAA or the university might've had, which is, you know, just wearing a mask on deck at competitions or something like that. So they were sure. fairly easy guidelines to follow. Um, yeah. It uh, really wasn't too much of a hassle for me. Just uh, that initial stop just in the middle of the season was very strange, you know, and yeah, we couldn't, we couldn't go back and train. So we just stopped for like three months and yeah, um, we were we were at a big meet as well and the same thing they cut it right in the middle and we were like okay let's just go home then i guess there's nothing else to do um next one i had here you mentioned you know the the, the strangeness of 2020 and 2021 and then finally making the finals here so how did the ending of your ncaa season kind of impact your mentality for more training and and what is next is paris on the horizon kind of let us in a little bit yeah i'm not really sure what I'm going to do yet. Um, I actually recently just got accepted into the graduate school at uh, A&M. Ah. I'm going to be the next graduate assistant coach. So I'll be oh, doing cool. a two-year master degree. Uh, and I just got to figure out if I'm going to balance the two or maybe, maybe hang it up because um, diving has taken a lot of my life for you know, 12, 13 years. And I think maybe I'm at a point now where I'm ready to say, you know, uh, enough's enough. And maybe I need to start focusing on my academics more, like more seriously. Um, so I'm not really sure. I think a conversation with Steve will definitely help me figure <laughs> that out. And some of my coaches back home, Chava and Chava Sabrino and Joel Rodriguez. So uh, sure. we'll, we'll figure that out. But uh, definitely still focusing on world championships. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. You know, so Aaron and I, we like to ask this question. We were both dove at the division two level. And, you know, when we were at nationals, it was very, uh, it was kind of just like a party on deck. Like we were always screwing around, having fun, whether we were competing or not, you know, what is that atmosphere like at the division one level? Is it relaxed, fun, or is it a little bit more intense focus? Like, how would you describe that when you're at those big meets at the division one level? Yeah, I think it's uh, mostly pretty calm. But, you know, you always get the people who like to have more fun and, you know, you get the more serious people. Uh, so, you know, you always have and, you know, you're friends with most of these people. So, for example, I know that with Victor and stuff, I can joke around with him in the prelim and take my time. But, you know, some of my other friends I know, he likes to focus a little bit more during competition. So I'll just leave him alone. Um, I like to just keep to myself, um, listen to music in between rounds and uh, just I bring, actually, it's funny. I don't know if you've ever seen photos of this, but uh, our coach, Jay, bought us all sleeping bags so that we can just like wear them in between rounds because the prelims are so long. And it looks really stupid, but you stay warm. And I love it. At first, I thought it was dumb. But then, you know, I went through a prelim and I wasn't cold. And I said, this is the greatest thing I think I've ever done. Um, so, yeah, I just dry off and get in my sleeping bag and just sit there until it's my turn again. <laughs> Oh my gosh. That was my next question was what do you do during the big meets, whether it's music or you focus, like what was your routine? 
But man, that little nugget that you gave us with the sleeping bags, I might have to steal that for those big competitions. <laughs> yep. I, I already wrote it down. I'm going to be texting Aaron saying, can you get me clarion sw- sleeping bags made? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that I, is I, you re- know, I, really cool. Yeah, it's something totally unthought of that I've never heard of, but you're exactly right. Those long, especially prelims, I mean, they you can have 40 minutes per round or 30 minutes per round. And, you know, what are you supposed to do? Just sit there, get cold or stand around and, and be on your feet too long. That's a great idea. Yeah, exactly. It's a little bit strange, but I mean, I really, really like it. You know, I, I, uh, unfortunately don't bring it out for the finals cause it's a little bit more fast paced, mm-hmm. but, uh, generally for prelims, uh, just music and sleeping bag and, you know, trying to do a lot of imitations and, uh, visualization before probably about 10 rounds before my dive, um, you know, go over and talk to the coach, come back, do some imitations, you know, maybe a mouthful of water and then, you know, focus on your breathing, whatever you like to do. Um, but then for the final, I prefer to be moving around a lot and, um, you know, a lot more playful in the final. Cause I think you need a little bit more, um, high energy. And, um, yeah, I'll be joking around with Jay and Sam Thornton, our current, uh, GA in, in the finals, joking around with them and, uh, but still, you know, serious when you need to be serious. Yeah, of course. So you mentioned music. What's, what's your go-to? Uh, uh, at the moment is, uh, a DJ, uh, called John Summit. And what genre yeah, is so that? That's a uh, tech house. So it's like a little bit heavier EDM. Uh, yeah, I think that's what I like to listen to during competition. Heath, I'm telling you, man, EDM is like the music for diving. I swear. <laughs> I'm so happy you said that. Like we had Isaiah Cheeks on, he was a division two national champion and he said the same thing. He, yep. you know, when it's prelims, it's more of kind of a mellow vibe, but when it's finals and it's like, Hey, let's go. It's, it's time to go and, and high energy. And it's, it's awesome. I, I like the same kind of music. So that's cool. So, uh, you know, so take us through a little bit of what are your favorite dives on one meter and on three meter. Like if you had to say like, this is my dive for each individual board, what, what are those? Uh, on one meter, I, I'll tell you, I hate reverse twist on one meter. Um, <laughs> uh, it's sort of a weak dive for me. Um, I'm not sure why, but I've been struggling a little bit with the takeoff recently. Uh, but for what I like is probably 107. Uh, that seems to be a pretty solid dive for me in competitions. Um, 305 can be hit or miss. This season, 205 has been great. Um, and maybe 405 is also hit or miss. But when you get over the board, you know, there's nothing else feels better. Um, but yeah, definitely reverse twist is a dodgy one for me. That's, that's wild. So, uh, I, I would not have said this to you unless you mentioned that. Cause I forgot about it. So we were watching prelims and that was probably the only dive you even kind of missed on one meter in prelims. And I remember my one female diver looked at me and she goes, how does he jump so high? And he went short <laughs> on the dive. And I go, I don't know. I've never jumped that high in my life to even know how like you do that. I said, but I'll be sure to ask him if we get to interview him. But it's funny you say that because it makes a lot of sense now. But, um, you know, what about what about three meter for you? Like, what's that go to dive on three meter? Um, yeah, you know, I want to stay one or nine, but really, I don't seem to like hit it big time in competition. You know, like I haven't broken 
100 points on it. Um, four or seven seems to be pretty consistent for me and sometimes double out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not, it, it sort of changes all the time. About, about a year ago, I would have said three or seven was mm-hmm. like something I was really, really confident with, but this season was, uh, I was less so. And I'm not, I'm not sure what really changed on that. Just maybe something to do with my timing or coordination um, on the takeoff. But I think right. everything is sort of just good enough to, you know, it's, it's, yeah, everything is just good enough. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that, that's, that's definitely an understatement, Curtis. Everything was more than just good enough. You, you did awesome. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool to see it kind of come together for you here at the tail end of your, your collegiate career, at least. Oh, yeah, I really appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, for sure. So the next one I have here is who are the divers that you looked up to, um, whether it was in your youth and who inspired you to dive or even, you know, further along the journey, you know, freshman year of, of college, who were those people that you looked up to and that you wanted to be like? Um, I think when I was growing up, there was an Australian diver, a springboard diver called Ethan Warren. Um, I think he finished sick in the final at London on three meter. Uh, I really looked up to him uh, at least when I was younger, but he retired shortly after London, I believe. And then mostly if I'm going to be watching video, I really, um, I like, I like watching Dimitri Salton. That's awesome. Is uh, definitely someone I've looked up to a lot. Do you watch a lot of video? Is that, is that just part of the, the program kind of watching, looking for different things? Uh, I think I used to watch more video when I was younger, uh, when I was, you know, I still had, I had a lot more passion for the sport when I was younger. Um, I'd say I probably got burnt out around the age of 16 or 17. So, uh, sort of after that, my passion died quite a bit, but yeah, at, at least through those younger years, I watched a lot of video um, of Dimitri and, you know, young Jack and, you know, like 2014 Commonwealth Games. Um, yeah, that's probably the era where I watched the most video. Now, you know, I'll keep up a little bit with some of the competitions. You know, if it's on, I'll watch it. If not, I don't usually make an effort to watch it. But, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure. That's probably all that I do. Okay. That's awesome. So, and then this is the question that Aaron and I have continually asked ourselves over the last, uh, you know, three or four weeks. What is the secret to your front and back takeoff, man? You sky off that diving board so much that I would watch it and I'm like, maybe he just had that perfect hurdle on that one before. And then you do it every time. And I'm like, you just launch off that board different than everybody else. Yes, I think. Well, maybe a four-step hurdle helps. Um, you know, I'm really, really confident with my hurdle. That's something that towards, as I got older and older, I started realizing was like the greatest strength of my, you know, me competing was that uh, in practice, I would take every single hurdle. And so, Hishan, I'm never scared that I'm going to balk. That's just, it literally doesn't even come into my mind. So that, and, you know, I feel like when you're younger and you're competing, you're always thinking like, God, don't balk, don't balk, don't balk. And not having to think about that is really helpful because basically every single time you do a hurdle, you know, it's going to be somewhere in the ballpark. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've had pretty good strength and conditioning coaches over the year as well. Uh, shout out to Ben and Michelle. <laughs> um, 
yeah, so obviously you need a little bit of strength. I'm decently strong, probably not the strongest out there, uh, but somewhere, you know, in the midfield. Um, I think it's maybe just my timing. I think I've always had pretty decent timing and rhythm with the board, which I think really, really helps with especially front or any takeoff, really. You just try and send it straight up. You know, I'm not sure if you've heard too much of Jay LaRue coach, but Mm. it's really simple. You know, he doesn't, he's not overly technical at all. He's like, jump high, spin fast. That's (laughs) literally what he'll tell me. And yeah, it's, it's crazy, but it sort of gives me a lot of freedom as an athlete to also figure out what I want to do. You know, there's that skeleton that he gives me and then it's my responsibility to fill in the rest, which um, part of the reason that we work so well for all these years is that, you know, know, I had the freedom to technically take my career where I wanted to go. And yeah, I think that's probably it, but it's a a combination of different things. Do you, um, do you, you you mentioned your timing is, is very good on the board. Do you have any, um, visual cues or any cues that help with the timing. You know, I, I realize that a lot of diving can sometimes be feel, but are there things that, you know, if this doesn't happen, I might miss my hurdle or are there any cues that you can kind of help us out with as far as the timing of it? Um, so I think, you know, I definitely listen to the board a lot. You listen for that one, two, three, um, so, you know, when you're bouncing. Um, but I think, you know, if you have a feeling that you might mistime the board, um, that you just literally just hold your arms up for as long as you can and just wait, just wait, 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 wait. And, you know, when you come down, hopefully you're in time with the board. Uh, that seems to work pretty well for me. Just the more patient you are is the better. Very good. Yeah. You mentioned listening to the board. We were uh, down in Moss Farms and that was one thing that they were uh, just kind of opening, I guess, my perspective on is listening for the board bouncing off the fulcrum and catching it at the right time after you hear it bounce off the fulcrum a couple of times. So that was, I I enjoyed the fact that that's kind of one of your cues because that was, that was just recently taught to Heath and I, and it's just kind of really opened our brain as far as, oh yeah, that, that does make sense. When we think it's all about feel, you can also hear what's going on and that's a confirmation. Hey, you're right on it. You're right on the screws. You're right where you need to be. Um, so appreciate that. The, uh, the next one here, we're going to get into our signature questions. Um, I, on this podcast, we treat failure like an opportunity for growth, not necessarily as a, as a horrible thing, but what is your favorite failure or your best opportunity for growth in, uh, in your career? Wow. Um, well, I think honestly coming and working with Jay has been the biggest opportunity that I ever had in my career. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I was, I, I got burnt out, uh, when I was quite young in the sport. Um, you know, I was 16, 17 and, uh, basically lost all love for the sport, but it was sort of, I was in too deep and had talent. So it didn't seem right to waste that. Um, if you can still use your willpower and push through and make something of it. And for me, that was coming to college and getting a degree and hopefully finding a coach that can help, um, rebuild my passion for the sport a little bit. And I think that that has happened. And 
even Jay recognizes that he has a talent for working with, you know, burnt out athletes and getting them back to, you know, close to the top of their potential or whatever the top of their potential might be. Um, so I'd say that is definitely, you know, the greatest opportunity I've ever had is to work with Jay in terms of failure um, is probably just being lazy. Um, again, just in terms of not having that passion anymore, you have to rely on your willpower, but unfortunately that's exhausting. Um, so I'm definitely not a perfect athlete, you know, very actually horrible. <laughs> uh, and thank you, Jay, for sticking with me. But yeah, I was, uh, you know, a lot of the time lazy and just burnt out, but then, you know, Jay brought out just enough in me to have, you know, the successes that I've had in, in college. Um, but yeah, I think that's a huge thing that's really difficult to come back from is when you, when you burn out, you know, that kind of chronic fatigue of passion, if you will, like, um, that's probably my, my biggest failure in the school. Yeah. Wow. That's cool that, uh, that your coach and you have that special relationship where he can kind of get enough and, and turn that passion around at least a little, uh, ignite that spark, if you will. So next one on my list here, um, we ask every, every uh, person who comes on, whatever entity they dive in, you know, whether it's USA diving or NCAA diving, you know, we'll ask them, what can that organization do to improve? You have mentioned already on this podcast that the NCAA system is far superior than anything in Australia. Is there anything the NCAA can do to improve, to further um, make themselves better? Yeah. You know, I'm really tempted to say that it would be nice to have diving uh, differentiated from swimming. Um, you know, I think it's very frustrating as a diver that, um, especially, you know, coming from out, you know, as a non-American, you know, diving is its own entity and in Australia diving is not associated with swimming at all so coming over here and having that where like all of a sudden bound together was quite a shock and it was very frustrating for me because you know stuff like we're at the NCAA and we have to be quiet for a swimming start but they can make as much noise as they want when we're training or when we're competing doesn't seem to make very much sense to me because I think anybody would agree that if there's a sport that needs silence it's diving rather than swimming you know um but then again that is a whole troublesome can of worms, whether or not diving would even survive if, if you uh, brought it out and made it, you know, just on a, a standalone sport. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think the NCAA has done a pretty, pretty good job. You know, I think I've had a really quite a fantastic experience here. Um, maybe we could do something to shorten prelim times. That would be nice. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, I'm not really sure how that would work. Zones is a horrible competition. You know, everybody dreads going to zones. Mm -hmm. Um, but all in all, no, I think, you know, with more and more, um, international, international athletes coming and, you know, more and more, you know, you know, the NCAA is strong and it's becoming stronger every single year, the more attention it gets. So, uh, in terms of quality, we just need to keep building and, you know, really make it, um, you know, when I left Diving Australia, they basically said, you know, you know, don't leave or you're going to get worse. And that was, you know, pre-Foley era. Um, and, you know, obviously that didn't happen. But 
um, yeah, it's just, there are some preconceptions about, you know, some levels of competition and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think we've, uh, safely defeated them, you know, <laughs> I, I it's would been, agree. it's been really cool to see all of the international flavor kind of come into the NCAA. Um, I don't know the statistics of how many in the past came from overseas or out of the country as to now, but it just really seems like there's a whole lot more influx of talent elsewhere coming in. And it's just really cool. Like you say, to, to see all the differences, you know, those Mexican divers have a style. Um, the Australian divers have a style, the American divers has, have a style and everybody's got every so slight different nuances to their diving. It's super fun to see everybody in, in one competition, like the NCAA, um, and just see, you know, everyone thrive and do their own thing. So it's, it's been really cool to see that, uh, that influx of, of people from across the world. Yeah. Um, so now as we kind of get to the next three here, Curtis, you know, what is your favorite drill to do, whether that's dry land, water, whatever it might be like, what's your favorite drill or most beneficial drill that you like to do? Uh, I really prefer ground flips, uh, just going from the floor to a mat. Uh, because when I was younger, I was, uh, you know, I used to do platform and springboard and actually I considered myself a platform diver until about the age of 16, uh, Unfortunately, I had an elbow injury, which stopped that career. Um, but from that, I think I learned that that was probably the most valuable tool that I had to make immediate technical changes on all directions of, of my, uh, you know, you can do a front somersault, you can do 20 repetitions of a front somersault tuck onto a, uh, a mat without getting fatigued versus if you want to train 20 front quads into the pit, that's a little bit extreme. Um, so for me, I see that as my best tool and it's so easy to make technical changes like with a box and a mat. It's so simple. It's going to be at every single pool. If that's what you need for a warm up, do that. Um, when I was younger, I used to use the pit a fair bit, not so much as I got older. Um, mostly just use the pit boards for practicing my hurdles, just doing hurdle jumps, working on my timing. Uh, and then obviously just coming into the pool and, you know, if you feel good, do some three meter. If you feel tired, do some one meter and just find that happy medium. Right. That makes perfect sense. Um, you know, what is the best advice you've either given or received at this point? And it doesn't have to just be your athletic career. It could be life, whatever you find to be the most beneficial advice you've received or given. Uh, I have no idea. Honestly, <laughs> so many people have helped me along the way, uh, you know, with, you know, my journey as an athlete, as a human being, um, you know, as a, as a student, you know, going into graduate school, um, I, I couldn't really say, but it's probably just important that, you know, you're making the decisions you make for you. And that's what's most important, you know, don't do something because that's what somebody else expects of you. If you want to be an art major, be an art major. Don't be an engineer because that's what your parents want. If you want to be a diver, be a diver and do it and put all your passion into it and enjoy it. Um, is basically kind of how I, how I think about things. And I'm not sure where I learned that along the way, but it just seems like common sense, right? <laughs> yep. Spot on. And then, uh, the last question I always ask is who would you like to hear us interview next? Who do you think would be a fun interview for us to talk to someone? Oh, um, 
You should interview Jonathan Sukow from Columbia University. Right. Yeah, he's a very good friend of mine um, and a wonderful conversationalist. He's a really, really great guy. All right. Awesome. And then um, before we go here, I always uh, try to let everybody know we have some camps and clinics on our link tree on our Instagram. And uh, if any coaches out there would like their camp or clinic promoted um, through us, just reach out to us uh, in the contact ways that Aaron will go over here now. Yeah. So hit us up on Instagram. We are at the diving pod and our email is the diving pod at gmail.com. Again, check our link. We have t-shirts and hoodies for sale. Just enter the coupon code DivePod at checkout. That gets uh, me covering the costs of the shipping. I just wanted to say thanks again. And whether the nickname sticks or it doesn't, I'm going to continue to call Curtis the Spring King uh, <laughs> just for sweeping the boards. It was a fun meet to watch and a pleasure to have you on. So thank you very much, Curtis. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right. We'll see you next time.